Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey guys, we got an ad. It's from superyaki.com. If you haven't been there yet, you really should go. It's this really cool website. You can go there. They have shirts for really great movies, also bad movies, but you know, the movies that film Twitter says you shouldn't like, but they're a bunch of idiots because of course you like National Treasure. Of course you think Judy Greer is awesome. Of course you want pins with Sofia Coppola, which I think is down okay with film Twitter. And also Jordan Peele, definitely okay with film Twitter. Go to superyaki.com and buy your shit. I know Phil has a bunch of stuff from superyaki.com. I have a bunch of shirts. I've got a I've got a written and directed by Ryan Johnson shirt because I'm obviously a big uh, Last Jedi fan. Uh, they got great Crimson uh, Crimson Peak shirts, which is a fucking great movie that nobody talks about nearly enough. Uh, their shirts are really soft. They're eco friendly, water based inks. They ship with compostable poly mailers for environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. Uh, it's a great website. They're a great company. Uh, Karen Hahn, past and future guest, is uh, has a couple shirts that she's done with them as well, which is fantastic. Um, and as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERFRIEND, all caps, no spaces, at SUPERFRIEND at checkout. Can you believe this? You listen to our podcast and you get 10% off shirts and sweatshirts and pins and bags. Yep from superyaki.com this is a win win for everybody and we get none of that zero (laughs) um it's superyaki that's s-u-p-e-r-y-a-k-i.com see you at the movies hey there 99ers are you a film fiend curious about how powerhouse filmmakers direct top-notch movies dive into the journey of warner brothers most popular prominent filmmakers starting september 15th learn about their movies and what led them to where they are today through behind the scenes footage and interviews tune in daily to youtube.com backslash warner bros online that's warner bros online starting on september 15th yeah so if you go to that website you'll see that obviously there's going to be many films from these filmmakers uh we have covered some of these filmmakers on our podcast uh, we covered Bringing Out the Dead with Martin Scorsese. We will eventually cover True Crime with Clint Eastwood. Um, 
Yeah, and maybe more importantly, uh, Stanley Kubrick, our very first episode was Eyes Wide Shut, uh, his his masterpiece. Um, it will also be included in a digital bundle of the filmmakers' movies that we will be giving away on Friday. Uh, we're going to have some games or some sort of uh, Twitter uh, presence where we will give away a couple bundles of these filmmakers' movies, including Eyes Wide Shut, Mad Max Fury Road, Goodfellas, Million Dollar Baby, and The Green Mile. So check out our Twitter feed for that and check out youtube.com backslash Warner Bros online for more information on this live stream. Thanks. Hello and welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from in front of a wall of Ritz crackers here in 2020. I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today, uh, live from Twitter, is Louis. I should have asked you before, is it Peitzman? It's Peitzman. Peitzman! I was going to let you know ahead of time, but then I thought I'd let you wing it. I'm an EI as well, and I'm an Ibart, so I, I go with the the German I usually. The correct pronunciation, yeah, yeah, yes, the way the Germans do. But uh, I would never Peitzman you, thank unless you, you told, unless you told me to. Um, but this is uh, Louis Peitzman. He is a uh, a writer. He's written for New York Times, Vulture, Time, BuzzFeed, other publications. Huge on Twitter, retweeted constantly. Uh, you definitely have seen him on your feed, and he also chose Stigmata, so he's going to have to answer for that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Lewis. It's uh, it's great to finally meet you and have you on. Thank you for having me and making me watch Stigmata. I know it was my choice, but I still feel like, you know, I was pressured into it. You know, so often guests come on this show and I filled this most of the, the, the guest outreach. And um, so often I'm like, so uh, why'd you choose this movie? And the person goes, because Phil made me. Um, but what is the, uh, what is the, the genesis of you and stigmata? I, I mean, I honestly chose it because I'd never seen it and I'm a horror person. So I, I wanted something that was, you know, in the genre. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I remember the trailer from when the, you know, the movie was in theaters and sure. it, it, it stuck with me. So I was like, I got to see this movie about, uh, Patricia Arquette having stigmata um, as it as it turns out, I did not have to see it. I was actually fine. <laughs> I would have I would have been fine never having seen it. But no one uh, warned us. The damage has been done. So you know. Can I? Can, you're a horror person, and I'm not. So I have a question for you about this. Yes. Is this a horror movie? Uh, yeah, I think it's a horror movie. I think it's like okay. uh, you know, it's a Horrible. religious. Ball. It's. Uh, I'm just kidding. Also, I don't think it's that. that. Bad. Oh, Actually, I, think I think it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Good. <laughs> uh, wow, fascinating. No, I mean it's it's like you know it's it's in the genre of like religious horror, so it's like okay. Okay. the Exorcist or the Omen or all sorts. You know, there's like very much like a evil Catholic Church thing going on. Um, I guess the reason I ask is it's not scary. 
It's not think- scary, but some of the imagery is uh, arresting. I would call <laughs> it upsetting. It's like it's it's graphic. It's like you know, if you you're watching a really dark music video, uh, I think that quite literally, it, feels I, like. it is I a think- music video feature length. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that there is a distinction to be made, and I feel I'm sure you, you know you, you've made this, but uh, horror doesn't necessarily mean scary. You know, like it can it, be psychological. I, I guess I think, to some well, degree. Yeah. I think I think the 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 term unsettling is mm-hmm. probably more catch all for horror than scary. Okay. Um, and I think this does intend to be unsettling. And I would argue it is unsettling at times. Um, I wasn't scared, but, you know, I'm super tough. So, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite horror movies, Louis? What, uh, yeah, when you say you're a horror fan, what, um, oh, like what, what the ones that are actually good. Um, <laughs> correct. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big Nightmare on Elm Street person. I'm a, the best. Like, that's, that's my fave. Um, I uh, I used to say Rosemary's Baby problematic, <laughs> so I kind of mumble that one. Uh, I would I would say that if not for Polanski and um, yeah, Halloween. You know, like good classic horror. Jennifer's you- Body is one of my favorite rec- more recent, even though it's like ten years old horror movies. Yeah. Uh, what about so, like yeah. The Exorcist? Is that up there for you or not really? Yeah, I, I mean, I am a fan of The Exorcist. I am, I'm also a fan of The Exorcist, the the second, the sequel, The Exorcist Two, which is a, a terrible movie, mm-hmm. um, because I like I like bad movies, which is partly why I was like Stigmata will be good because like even if yeah. it's bad, I can appreciate it on some sort of camp level. Uh, and yet here we are. I don't know if I, I got there with it. It was long. So uh, it's not that long is the thing. It just feels long. it's an, it's an it's an hour and 42 minutes, which is for a horror long. movie. Is that long? I'm going to ride for Stigmata first. <laughs> OK, I think I did get there. I think that I, I, I tried I, I tried to put myself in that exact place. Right. I didn't necessarily expect um, it to be so campy. And obviously, you know, it wasn't intentional, but the best camp is uh, is not intentional. You know, you can't really be camp if you intend to be camp. Um, right. And I tried to put myself in the mind space of if I had watched this in 99 with the right audience, with the right group of friends, I think I would have had a lot of fun with this. And as it yes. stood, like this, Phil, I think, and we should discuss this notion too, and use well, Lewis, because I, I feel like you're, you know, kind of on this tip. I think this is the first movie that falls into that thing, that, that category that, that, has been called so bad it's good. I think that's a ridiculous thing. But that's how this felt to me. Like, we've done a bunch of movies that we hoped were kind of like that, like The Haunting and The Other Haunting. But, um, <laughs> lots of we, hauntings. The, <laughs> the haunt, the, yes, the haunt, the haunt, haunted house and the house on Haunted Hill. But, but those movies just straight up suck. And I think this is so silly and so ridiculous and so self serious. Um, and the performances, uh, I, I, I do kind of get the sense that like Gabriel Byrne and Jonathan Price thought maybe if things go right, I can get nominated for this, and I love that about it. Like I love that they like, really. I, I mean, I have to believe that Gabriel Byrne was like racking up some debt somewhere because this was he did <laughs> he did two like religious thrillers and the other one's amazing. The other one's a great flick, but. The point, the point, the point being that, like, I don't. There was something going on there with him. Um, 
I I hear you though. I think the fact that it is I looked up the director after because I was like, this guy has to be music video director because oh, yeah. there's and of course he he is. But I he did play uh, not just any, well. He's not just any musical director. <laughs> he's, he's like uh, he's MC Hammer's in house musical director. Well, and it shows. <laughs> so I, I it def- definitely there are moments where it works for me. I think uh, the problem with the movie that takes itself so seriously like this is that. Um, it wears thin after a while. So, you know, there are moments when I'm like, oh, it's really funny. They think they're doing serious art here and this is ridiculous. But um, for me, like after 80 minutes, I'm out. And uh, sure. this went on longer than that. So I, I uh, you know, well, even even Portia de Rossi's dreads could not <laughs> you know, save the movie for me. Can I, here's a question. Because as you know, I'm, I'm a scaredy cat, Kenny, and I don't watch horror movies. So I was really thankful that 99 doesn't really have any scary horror films well, for the most Blair, part. Blair Witch is like Blair the Witch, scariest sure. movie. Sure. That right. And, and Blair Witch is great. Movie. Sure. But I guess what I kind of want to posit here is it feels like horror at this point, And I'm, I'm curious, Lewis, since you're a big horror person, it, it feels like it's in a weird lull here. Like when your horror movies are... The house on haunting uh, the the house on haunted hill and the haunting, which are basically just special effects, kind of like theme park rides, as opposed to actual horror films. And this and end of days and, and right, yeah. these are all big studio kind of. I don't even. I, I don't. It's it's a weird fork in the road that we're at. In Blair Witch, we talked about this on the Blair Witch episode, but Blair Witch opens up that whole new lane of um, found footage of horror films that can be like shaky cam and whatever, all, you know, low budget, um, sort of indie like horror, indie horror, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we did audition as well, which also fits into that. Cause then you have the J horror stuff, which comes out off of that too. So this to me feels like kind of this weird death rattle of the studio horror film. Yeah. I mean, I think you're also, you're coming right between like the, the return of the slasher um, in the late nineties, but a little before this. And then in the early two thousands, you kind of start with, um, torture porn, a few, you're a few years out from saw right, and, and, right. and hostile. Um, so you're kind of between two big moments in studio horror. And right. I can see how this sort of falls through the cracks. Cause it's not, you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is. I, I think that, um, there definitely was something going on, uh, in terms of what scared people in 99, with the devil and, no Catholicism, and, and Catholicism, there was something well, the happening, right? Yeah. I mean, I, but I think that it had a very like religious, uh, overtone for people. Um, so it's, it's, it, it caters to that, uh, whether or not you find it scary now. Um, so, apparently at the time people were much more scared of, of stigmata, I guess. So, <laughs> so there's this, there's stigmata. Uh, I mean, there's this, there's a uh, end of days, end of as, days as we yeah. discussed, there's also ninth gate. Which Correct. is another, you know, Polanski joint. It's a Polanski joint, and you know, obviously, like the Rosemary's Baby and Exorcist and the Omen. These these movies will be discussed over the course of this because it kind of yeah. is part and parcel of this uh, Christian horror theme or this Catholic horror theme. Um, but it, I find it hard to believe that it's just the millennium. Um, Something was in the water. You think? I. It's not even something. It, it, I. I it can't just be a, 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 a some people just sit, sitting around and saying it, it, the world is going to end in a very Catholic kind of way. Um, 
that seems weird to me. It seems, it seems, what, what <laughs> led to this? What was the big, big success in the years between The Exorcist and 1999? Good question. That made all these people think that uh, let's do some devilish stuff. I mean, The Devil's Advocate was before this, right? Yeah, right. and and uh, yeah, that's I guess the the big one. Also, not a great movie, but um, more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm trying to think of like what are. Well, I was. I mean, I, I'll look up. I'm going to look up '90s horror films for a second. I was trying to. I was trying to see if the uh, Catholic Church sex abuse scandal had happened at this point, but that oh, was that was '02, so it was a little a little ahead of the game. But I was kind of surprised by like how uh, staunchly anti-Catholic church this movie was. It mm-hmm. did seem very much, it seemed like almost transgressive. I don't really know what the, uh, the conversation was around Catholicism in, in 99, but it, it surprised me. It does feel a little bit like, so, and, and we've talked about, we've talked about scream before on the podcast, but it does feel like that's a real kind of reckoning that the genre has with itself because all of a sudden it becomes meta and it becomes sort of this like commentary on itself in, in, in a more sort of overt way than it had ever been before. Um, and it feels like that's in 97. And it feels like after that, there's sort of this scream? wave. Scream is 96? 95. 95. Okay. So even, even earlier than I or thought. Or 96. But um, this is not the, the, this does not share DNA with those movies. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting that it even does. Like, I'm just saying like where, in, is the, where are studios' heads at? When it comes to horror is where I was trying to come at. I think studios' heads are at, and I think that's a good question, horror makes money. I, yeah. think, that, I think that is how a, a movie that this fucking insane winds up <laughs> as a major summer release with you know, movie stars. Well, uh, it was fall, but yeah. Gets a, or it made, what, $85 million, and it had a huge campaign, and $90 million. It was a very big uh, release. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and it's insane and stupid and weird and crazy, and I can't believe a studio put its money behind it. But my sense is <laughs> horror made money, but studios never really understood how to do horror. Right. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. as we said, horror is, you know, this gave, this gave way to an indie boom, indie horror. It's always been indie. If you look back at the history of, like, uh, horror movies and right. indie film. They're one and the same. Like the biggest indie film for about 20 years was Halloween. People don't think of right. Halloween as an indie film because it doesn't really, you know, feel like your typical mumblecore shit. But Holly, Halloween is an indie film. Uh, sure. Nightmare on Elm Street was an indie film, for instance. But um, this, this, stems from, this stems from because they're low budget, right? And yeah. directors want to have sort of, you know, they want to make a film. Um, you know, Evil Dead is another example of yeah. like, the first one is super cheap and low budget. Um, so, so is and, and, Peter Jackson stuff. Meet the Feebles. Like totally, totally. So this is uh, this is this is what indie directors do in the beginning. Most of them, and if you look at so many of our you know really really strong indie directors, they come from this this world. Mm-hmm. When the studios take it over, it almost always sucks. Like. <laughs> Sometimes it comes from a, a prestige novel like The Exorcist, and that's kind of a different story. Yeah. But it almost, or Rosemary's Baby. Or Rosemary's Baby, but yeah. it almost always sucks. And Scream is even like 
pretty much an indie film as well. That's you know that's yeah. mid, that that's that's mid uh, mid nineties Miramax Dimension before you know swallowed mm-hmm. up. So I guess yeah, I, I mean I'm I'm I'm, I'm I, I hear you, and I'm also trying to imagine an indie version of Stigmata that's <laughs> any better than what we got. I mean, like I I guess I want to know like yeah. where it went wrong because it seems like from a script level exception. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing yeah. about Stigmata totally that really agree. makes sense. Conce- um, conception. Catholic horror goes wrong at conception almost always. <laughs> well, which is I why mean, it's so weird that, like, in, in like four or five years, well, really in like two or three years, uh, Dan Brown starts putting out the Da Vinci Code, yep. which then becomes like the biggest franchise in the world for a while, both in, you know, books and, and movies. So there is certainly an appetite here somewhere. And an appetite for the big budget shit, but for a while they just they couldn't get near it. Yeah, I mean they also you're absolutely right with the Da Vinci Code comparison because they they obviously are going for this alt history of Jesus thing that uh, people would eventually come to love. Um, perhaps Stigmata was ahead of its time, and it was it would have taken you know a great mind like Dan Brown to transform this story <laughs> into something more palatable to mainstream audiences. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm also looking just for for what it's worth at the credits of these screenwriters who I I don't the screen part of the issue here is what are their names? It's on a on a script level. The 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 the, the screenwriters of this uh, of this film are Tom Lazarus, which is an appropriate last name. Is that a pseudonym? Rick, <laughs> <I'm sure>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And Rick Ramage, Ramage, I don't know. Ramage, I think. Ramage, maybe. Yeah. Um. They they not did not really good. go on to, to do not. much else, but I, I the reason kidding. I bring up this the script here is because and and I and I hope that you guys can help me in this regard because I watched all of this film and I'm still not entirely sure I understand what was attacking her and why she was getting stigmata. Oh, I can explain. Was that ever? I'll, oh oh yeah. You? Oh yeah. 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 Oh great. Okay. Great. 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 This is. Uh... Um, no, it's actually I, I it's just, not it's not clear at all. But I, I have my own <laughs> interpret I have my own interpretation. Um, <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm gonna want to hear that. Um, sure. Let me just lay a little bit of groundwork here uh, in terms of some context for our listeners who might not have seen Stigmata. Uh, the synopsis of the film is a young woman with no strong religious beliefs, Frankie Page, played by Patricia Arquette. Uh, begins having strange and violent experiences showing signs of wounds that Jesus received when crucified. When the Vatican gets word of Frankie's situation, a high-ranking cardinal, played by Jonathan Price, requests that Reverend Andrew Kiernan, played by Gabriel Byrne, investigate her case. Soon, Kiernan realizes that very sinister forces are at work and tries to rescue Frankie from the entity that is plaguing her. Stigmata opened on September 10th, 1999, in first place with $6.5 million against Stir of Echoes, and Love Stinks, quite a weekend. That's a real... Thrill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it would go on to make uh, $90 million on a $29 million budget. This movie didn't look like 20, $29 million, by the way. Like, it's fine. Doves like, are expensive. They had a huge dove, dove budget. It, it, looked, <laughs> it, it looked genuinely awful, but... But it doesn't feel like 29, 29 is too much of a number for, for this movie. We've seen crazier things. We've seen crazier. Uh, Stigmata has 22% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 63% from audiences, which I find surprising. But it makes sense that it made that much money. I guess people were into it. Um, Roger Ebert's review is kind of a bunch of religious gobbledygook, so I didn't really 
pull anything from it. Um, but it should be said that Gabriel Byrne was nominated for a Razzie Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in both this film and End of Days. Uh, but he lost to Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks in... Everything about that is <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I got a real problem. With the, the Razzie Awards I have, I have some real issues with. So does Kenny. Everybody, everybody with a with with a soul and a decent heart has issues with the Razzie Awards. <laughs> but that said, like yeah. in like yeah. specifically, one Gabriel Burns actually excellent in, in End of Days, I and agree. two, this is weird that he plays like the opposite character yes. in the same movie. Correct. Um, Correct. Once he's playing the devil, and the other one he's playing the devil trying the, the man trying to exercise the devil from someone else. So that's that's just shows his range. And, uh, and two, I am not the first person to say this, but like, how could you come on with this Jar Jar shit? <laughs> all right, that's all. Yeah, no. I, what are you well, the Razzies? Just, just uh, real. Yeah. Oh, I, I think the Razzies. I don't know. They often get it wrong. They, they, nom- they often nominate people who are bigger names who made flop movies, but actually are good in those movies. Yep. Um, that's a big problem with them. And I, I don't know. They, they, I've seen, I've seen way worse movies and way worse performances than anything that ever gets mentioned in the Razzies. So especially in recent years, it seems more about getting publicity for being the Razzies. There's also, I, I take issue with the Razzies as well, despite the fact that I probably quote unquote enjoy them more than Kenny does. Um, but I, I, my issue with the Razzies really has to do with the fact that, um, it seems to be like this corrective measure against studios. Because to your point, there are a lot of like indie films that are made that aren't good, but it's a lot of like just poking fun at big movie stars and trying to take them down a notch. Which is probably, I mean, if this is going to exist, that's what it should be, right? Like, as you know, Roger Ebert uh, and Gene Siskel right. always did a worst of. For the year, but they had a rule that they didn't punch down. You know, that's not the that's not the explicit rule, but the, but the rule was we're not going to go after small indies and say they're the worst. We're going to go after large films who can take it. That being said, like it's not. I mean, we have a podcast. We talk shit about all these movies, but um, we're like you know we're we're, we're small time nobodies, so uh, we don't put it out there on blast. <laughs> I was I was people. told you had a wide listenership, and this was going to be. <laughs> We will not be on it. We're very popular <laughs> among right. other small-time nobodies, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what it comes but what it comes down to, and I think we really love love these movies and love what we do, and I I, <clears throat> I think that the whole thing is born out of like a genuine love. I I just fear that the Razzies watch these movies looking for who can we embarrass yeah. this year, right. Correct. Correct. My 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 beef yeah. with this particular nomination is that Gabriel Byrne does not give the worst performance in this movie. Not even close. Oh, I I, I think agree with you. I think that Patricia Arquette is actively bad in the movie, and and she's a yeah. great she's a great actor. It's not I, I think it's a script problem and a director problem, but she's terrible. She's like shockingly what? not good. Yeah, she's kind we- of she's playing to all of her worst instincts. Which I think speaks to direction, or maybe she wasn't directed. I don't know, but there's just a lot of like Patricia Arquette. I don't want to say ticks, but like there are kind of you know things that she goes to as an actor, and it feels like she's wearing all of them on her sleeve in this performance. Right. I mean, I, I wrote down some lines though, and I, yeah, that, yeah, I yeah. that I feel like <laughs> no one could have delivered well. 
And I think, but I think that maybe like it is like a tone problem. Like when she says like, am I psychotic or dying or both? I feel like maybe if that were played a little more tongue in cheek, it would have worked, but it's played sort of sincerely. And then she starts laughing. Um, I don't know. Her character is also a mess because she's like kind of a bad girl, but also kind of not like she's sort she's like, is she a mess or is she just like, a, a normal atheist who enjoys sex. It's not clear to me. Um, yeah, I kind of, there was a part of me that felt like they almost needed to go farther with how quote unquote lost she is. Like if it was some sort of substance abuse, if whatever it is, like it just felt like there was a part of me that watched this performance and watched this character. Like for instance, Kenny, we had in end of days, Robin Tunney plays, right? So like, Robin Tunney's character in that film, like you're rooting for her, like you're invested in her in this. I just didn't know how to feel about Frankie. I don't so, know how you, yeah. yeah. So I was going to bring up Rob, Robin Tunney too. And I was going to lay the Patricia Arquette is one of my favorite actresses. Like she's great. Yeah. Period. I, I, yeah. I love what she did when she was young. I love what she's doing now. Like she's like truly incredible in the roles that suit her. Notably, she's almost never in a, in, in any kind of genre film. <laughs> Um, because it's just, there's something about Patricia Arquette that is so grounded, real world. Um, and I understand that to some extent, you know, the devil goes inside a real person, but those scenes that are terrible to me are the scenes that are heightened, that feel like someone who is more committed to the bit like Robin Tunney. Would have just killed it, and I think the whole movie would have been better. And- are you when you say over the top? Are you and I? I'm. I'm. For me, it was the attack scenes. Well, I'm not. Were- I just, yeah, I said heightened. So yeah, yeah, yes, we're yeah, saying the same yeah. thing. We're saying yeah. the, the scenes where she essentially is embodied by a devil or the demon, whatever, <laughs> and has to like kind of raise up and be scary and foreboding. Whether she's being scared, whether, yeah. whether she's being threatening to those in the room with her or, or threatening to herself. I yep. didn't feel that. It just turned into, you know, high camp at that point. And yep. that's kind of when I decided this would be fun watching this with the right audience because yep. she's so she's she's it, it's not to me it's not even a matter of misreading it. Like she just yeah. didn't go there or she can't go there. Well, the director is also I mean, the moment that for me when I was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> is when she's when she's writing that stuff on the wall. And then she turns around and she's like full on exorcist kind of like possession speaking in like a man's voice. And like she's got some crazy like eye shit going on. And you're just like, what, what's happening here? Like, I, I don't I, I just I, I yeah. Anyway, I, I do want to I do want to bring up really quickly that she did, you know, get her start in Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors. So she gets some she gets some credit for that. I don't think she was particularly good in that movie either. But let's at least acknowledge she has a horror history <laughs> that she was also not great in. Um, yeah, but I, I think you're right. The over the over the top stuff doesn't work. But I think again, that's a lot. You know, it's it's the, the script is is so hard to work with, and the way she has to kind of pivot from these weird, like almost romantic comedy scenes. I mean, they're they're like, are they falling in love? I don't know what's happening. And then it's like she's supposed to be kind of sexy and then like fun and messy. But then also she's speaking with a man's voice and she's terrifying, allegedly, whatever. It isn't, it's a lot of flip flopping 
that it would be hard to pull off uh, for anyone, uh, but especially Patricia Arquette in this particular movie. Well, you know, it's like uh, you mentioned Jennifer's body. Yes. Meg Fox could have pulled this off. Absolutely. It, there's just like, so there. Totally. totally. It doesn't feel like it, it, it doesn't feel like you had to dig that deep to find somebody who would have just chewed this up. But I do want to say my, my, tr- the, the moment I turned on the movie, mm-hmm. because I basically feel the way you guys feel. And then in the end of the day, I was just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose to like this. But the moment I turned on positive <laughs> was the scene where it's, it's the exact scene you shouldn't like in this movie, I guess. But it's the scene, the tender scene between them where they're talking about sex. And he's saying, I wasn't yep. born a priest. And yep. it, there's something about the moment where I go, you know, these two can and have in their lives had chemistry with like, you know, oak trees. They, they're yep. even these two with their massive age difference and like their world difference. And they come, they feel like they're coming out of different movies or there's something really tender about that moment that I really liked. And then she immediately goes into like stage three of stigmata falling over like a bunch of cassava <laughs> melons and like coming up bloody. And I, and, and I, I was like, all right, this is like, this is fun. Now wh- where I would have gone is full thorn birds with this. Like, <laughs> A hundred percent, because sure. it's so rare people go Thornbirds. So I would have gone full Thornbirds and had them fucking for the back half of this movie. All Why the time. not? I mean, they are, they they do. Great. I mean, they basically get there. They're quite intimate. I so they, they, might, they might as well have gone all the way. They they didn't, okay. but they. But you're right. Yeah. They, they but yeah. But like exactly because in, in the eyes of Jonathan Price, who plays is like you know high superior ever. Yeah. Um, they did. He's like, I didn't expect yeah. you to come in this room and see you two in bed together. Canoodling. Like, canoodling. <laughs> <laughs> leave, leave some space for the Holy Ghost. But I think also if they, if, they, if they had been sleeping together, it would have at least – that's kind of what we're looking for in general, right? Is it like this movie needed to be a little bit more – needed to go there more in some way uh, beyond these like insane scenes of her – you know, getting whipped and stuff. It, it It's like weirdly restrained. And I think that it starts off, you think it's going to be something different. It has this, the statue crying blood. And then we, yeah. you know, once we have that scene, we cut to like a very nineties song and there's a club and then she's oh having sex with uh, Patrick Muldoon from Starship Troopers. And it's intercut with Christ getting nailed to the cross, which is like an amazingly on the nose and also tacky, like I, 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 I love that. Like the back and forth. Like she's getting nailed. He's getting nailed. It's like a whole thing. And then, and then it. I felt wait, wait, so wait. left. Then I felt so left let, let down because it was like not on that level. You know, it was like they actually wanted me to care about her and some. You know, there was more plot than I needed. And and then it was like, this is based on a true story. It, this is based on a vaguely true myth. <laughs> You know, whatever it is, like I, yeah. it's not the tone that I want for this movie. I wanted, I wanted more sex intercut with Jesus being nailed to a cross. There's a lot to unpack there. That was great work. That's that why. He, all right, so one, uh, they didn't have sex. They were afraid to go there. The Thornbirds were the Thornbirds was so controversial because they yeah. sexualized the priest, right? Yeah. Like that. In in some ways, is kind of the last like the last beacon that we're not willing to go towards in terms of um, controversy. But so how could this movie not be controversial? I mean, they they have the Catholic Church trying to kill this woman 
for revealing the secret that Jesus does not care about your religion and that churches are bullshit. Like to me, this feels like a very controversial, you know, anti-Catholic movie. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's going to sound weird. You're totally right. And yet I think that is less controversial than having a priest get down. <laughs> I, like I, I do. I just think there's something, I think there's something sacrilegious about that, that they weren't willing to do. Otherwise, like, why wouldn't you do it? If it was any other movie, if he wasn't a priest, if he was, if it was, if he was an investigator, some kind of secular investigator, those two are fucking. So that's the one thing. The other thing you said is, okay, so the movie starts with the, the, the statue crying blood, I believe somewhere outside of Sao Paulo. Um, and then it goes to that legitimately amazing, um, credit sequence that you were talking about the most the most 90s credit sequence so we've done so far for sure my for sense sure. phil is that you didn't like that that you wanted the first movie where i was like this first movie they're showing me is going to be two of the worst hours of my life no and no no, no. They got to like the, the goth punk scene where neil no. long of all people is like the queen of the goth punk scene yeah uh i was in <clears throat> no 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 just to be very clear uh I wanted the movie you wanted, and it sounds like the movie that you wanted as well, Lewis, which is this idea of like a movie that understood how dumb it was. Do you know what I mean? And it was just like, we're going to take you on a ride. It's going to be silly. It's going to be filled with uh, some of the most like overt 90s music video editing and photography we can possibly jam into this thing. And those moments to me are when the movie at least becomes fun to watch even if unintentional when i think about the bathtub sequence when she gets when when she's having a bath and she's surrounded by all the candles and then she has the first like nails in her hands and she's thrashing around in the water and this ridiculous score that billy corgan of all people did is it's just like score. it's, it's very funky score. it's a very funky <laughs> score <laughs> there's a his the, the only score I, that he's ever done the scene i referenced earlier is a is a particular uh, offender on the score front because it's very like kind of kind of like uh like treacly right <laughs> and then she has her th- like whatever she has her like thrashing stigmata bouts it <sighs> turns into like that part in 127 hours when he cuts the uh when the nerve and it just goes ah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like is this what stigmata felt like in the 13th century like before I, I they mean, had before they had like death techno it's <laughs> the other thing too is there's like some of my favorite artists are on this soundtrack just to be like just to be above board bjork and david bowie and massive attack are all on this soundtrack and all have needle drops in this movie that sort of work so like I, I can't totally hate on the music choices necessarily, although it should also be said that Chumbawamba is also on the soundtrack. So, like, it's really a whole potpourri so of bonus stuff. points for that is what you're saying? No, not really. I mean, more to the point of, like, at least the music supervisor had good taste. Is but really bonus kind of points for Chumbawamba, is, I think. Yes, those yeah, yeah. Is but, this but better I, or worse than the Pokemon soundtrack? <laughs> The very strong Pokemon soundtrack. I will, the Pokemon soundtrack I, I want is to filled with bangers. It is. It, it is. Those songs get stuck in your head. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I can't say otherwise. It's. I just think that that. So Rupert Wainwright, who directed this film, uh, did Blank Check. He did the the Blank very Check movie. movie. Very bad movie. Seen it six uh, times. <laughs> you really? My kids like it. Believe it or not, my son who's obsessed <laughs> with money loves the movie where the kid gets the blank check. Fair enough. 
it's this this is one of those movies where um the tonal shifts are so severe and it's clear that he doesn't really know what kind of movie he's making because to your point earlier Kenny I agree when this movie slows down and has some quiet moments between Patricia Arquette and da- and Gabriel Byrne it's not terrible like it's not great but like they're both competent actors that can find some sense of nuance but then literally at the end of that scene she'll be thrashing around like a lunatic in the middle of like a diner in that in that scene where she they're having where they're they're flirting and then she falls over because she's getting nails in her feet i was just thinking like (laughs) she's wearing platforms right and it's like you're gonna have a scene where someone in platforms getting nails through her feet you have to approach that with some sort of ironic (laughs) detachment (laughs) like it's not they're not Jesus sandals, they're platforms. And she's wearing them. And I think that we need to acknowledge that. And also acknowledge the fact that, you know, as you said, it's not it's like a very it's a very confused movie, and I think that like plot wise it's very confused, and I think that it would have helped if the director didn't try to make sense of it, but rather just gave us, you know, those opening moments of nineties absurdity. Yep. So uh, think- because it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So the one movie that we haven't mentioned, which I don't know how I didn't mention this. I'm almost embarrassed. Mm-hmm. That clearly is its forebear. Is Seven. Um, seven. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Seven is essentially, it's gothic horror. It's modern gothic horror. It's not quite playing on the same biblical themes, but there is, you know, the kind of a biblical thing going on there. Um, and the, new, the, 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 the numerical thing. You know, seven, it's overt, but this is the whole Gabriel Burns thing is there are five stigmata uh, marks. Yeah, phases. <laughs> and no one's ever gone through even three of them. And you're so how do they four. know? How do they know there's five then? Exactly. They, well, they they're you know they speak to God, Lewis. I mean, come on. Uh, I'm just, just, I have I have just some ask. questions. <laughs> but I think that that's I think on every level this seems like an attempt to recreate seven from hiring a music video director. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Hiring a music video director to using the front man of a major fucking alt band at the time for the yep. uh, for the yep. music score, to yeah. the biblical ish gothic themes to the color palette the color um yeah the, 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 the color palette the yeah, yeah, yeah. yes the color palette they use to the fucking constant rain which is yeah. a big thing they use in seven and very much on purpose in seven and it just seems here that they've decided seven did it so we should also um to the gothic buildings they're in to yeah no you you're you are you're hitting the nail right on the head this is this is definitely uh trying to rip off seven for sure I, I think know, I think I, I think also I mean Seven I think is a movie that like I would call a thriller you know it has horrific elements right. but I think it's more of a thriller and I do think that in a way this movie was aiming for that kind of thriller territory I yeah. think when you have possession and stuff for me it's you know it, it's horror but I think they were going for that that kind of that particular genre of of yeah of, of Seven esque you know. A thriller with really with the really horrific imagery that's going to stick with you. So, Lucy, I think you hit on something. Though. Possession is tough because you have to make a big decision in that 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 you don't have to make it a serial killer movie or an abduction movie or anything like that. You you have to decide how much of this possessed character you're going to show, right? How much of this and 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 I don't mean I mean how much of that possessed character will be your POV in this movie in 
end of days, she wasn't really possessed. She was more Rosemary's baby, but still, like, she is your character who is in some way harboring Satan inside her body. Um, and you go with her a little bit, but you're mostly with the people, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is trying to fix this problem. Same with the exorcist to some extent. But here, the main character is the person who is being possessed. And that in and of itself is kind of a tough place to go because at some point she stops becoming herself. She stops being the protagonist of the movie and the protagonist is then gone. That's a weird thing. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's also weird because you, there's no reason for her to be possessed, which I think is like one of those plot (laughs) issues problem. Yes. That, that like, there's no, if that's not really part of the story, like we, we, we understand, like I'm willing to buy the whole, she's experiencing the wounds of Christ. Just go with it. But then suddenly, you know, in the movie, she becomes possessed in a way that doesn't actually track. And so it's not only that you have to kind of follow her as she's not herself. It's that like, it's not clear who she is. And I don't think, I don't know if the movie knows who she is. I have, I have, I have my explanation, but it's doesn't actually make sense. I would like to hear your explanation. So would I, but the text, the movie's fucked up and yes, you're right. It, near the end when she is fully possessed, she explicitly says the messenger doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we just did the messenger, uh, with Joan of Arc. And the, the point of that movie is almost the opposite, which is like people are chosen specifically for what they can do and who they are and what their, their, what their abilities are. And I think that was Gabriel Burns point throughout the movie. It's always big believers. It's oh, it's St. Francis of Assisi. Like we're talking about, you know, the greats of Catholicism who get stigmata, not random people. So that left you, you know, that leaves you very cold. And I know people like kind of are into the idea that raised parents are supposed to be nobody, but like in a raised parents are nobody's way. Like that matters. It matters to me why these people are put in these places and you don't get to kind of just, you know, write it away with one line and having saying it doesn't matter. Well, I think that one of the main issues here is that she's not, you know, the movie could have gone the way of like, maybe she needs saving and that's why this is happening to her. Or maybe she's secretly divine, but really what's happened is she's been mailed a haunted rosary and stolen from a, a, a dead guy. And that's why she's experiencing this. So it's, it is totally arbitrary there's no there's no reason oh. why this is happening to her she's she just had the uh her mom mailed her that haunted the rosary. rosary but it didn't which have to which be that way, which right? weirdly yeah. didn't have to be but weirdly like gabriel Byrne never discovers this there's never any explanation uh which we know as the audience we saw the opening scene that like some kid just like stole this rosary from father almeida and now she's you know possessed by him slash jesus slash whoever else uh, because, Whoever can get yeah. on in there. It, yeah, it's a party. <laughs> it's a party. It's not very, Patricia, can, I can I just? I, I want to. <clears throat> I keep thinking about the seven comparison, Kenny, and and the reason seven works is because it's a masterpiece. But <clears throat> one of the big mm. things is how clean that premise is. He's doing the seven deadly sins. This, you're so unclear as to what's going on, and not in a good way that you check out and then every now and then the movie basically grabs you by the lapels and is like, but look at this crazy shit that's happening. She's got fucking crown of thorns. And you're like, but why? Like, there's just, I, 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 that was what made me tap out of this film. Ultimately was that I was just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on or why it's happening. (laughs) 
The 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 scene that I've referenced a few times is when Gabriel Burns explain Burn explains exactly what's happening. Yes. Um that's not such a bad thing to do in a movie, right? That that should have happened early on. The clear version of this movie, because it happens very early in seven, the clear version of this movie is you're gonna get five lashes from God. Um and we I don't, I don't even know what to fucking say. Like, if you get all five, fucking the, the devil comes. I, this movie's stupid. But you, but, <laughs> but you understand what I'm. You understand what I, I'm saying. Like, oh, I did. Yeah, I understood yeah. I the totally organizing lost. principle. Like, I, I understand the organizing principle that like there's five phases and she's going to have these stigmatas. Okay, fine. So be it. But why? Yeah. What does it mean? You're right. Because I, because she because Father Almeida, who <laughs> discovered the secret gospel written by Christ Himself that the Catholic yeah. Church is trying to suppress, died, yeah. and then his spirit imbues her. And through that, maybe Jesus. But if it is Jesus, he's uh-huh. really mean. And I don't know if Jesus would be so angry while possessing someone. But yeah, basically. But okay, I, I'll give you all of that because I think all of that makes it doesn't make sense. sense. It doesn't make sense. But, but yeah, but you wonder. Yeah. But the bigger thing is, what's the end game? To what end? Like, what, making this woman have these stigmata. To what point? Like, it's one of those things where, like, I understood the nihilism of Seven. I understood that this guy was trying to teach a lesson of some sort. This is it. Is the thought process that, like, if there's a person that has these stigmata, it will validate the church, like, validate that Jesus was real or something? Like, I just, I just don't understand, like, what our bad guy's mission is exactly in this movie. Well, I don't know if it is a bad guy. I, I think it's that's you know, it's it's very confusing, <laughs> okay. but I think that like his only point was trying to get the gospel out and to kind of okay. Um, okay the gospel being that like Jesus wrote you know in his own words it doesn't matter you know churches don't matter religion doesn't matter follow my teachings which the Catholic yep. Church then tries to suppress because that sort of undermines everything they're doing uh, right and so he's just trying to get the message out and I think the stigmata is whatever he was experiencing because he was so close to God and she's just experiencing that by proxy. But I don't know that there's like a, an intent beyond okay. that she has a haunted I mean, I, I appreciate that you can answer any of this. I, but I, be, I don't, I don't think it makes sense. Theory. I'm just saying that's what it, I think that's, I think that's, <laughs> I don't that's know. Where the, the, the more you talk about it, the more you talk about it, the more the more it's like, yeah, it was there, it was there. I just, I, I didn't pick up on it. But um, but, but I mean that doesn't that, yeah. that, that that explanation does not actually it doesn't explain why she gets possessed and starts throwing him around and yelling. It, it doesn't or why she tries to seduce him. If she's Father Almeida, why is she trying to seduce Gabriel Byrne? And how does Jesus figure into this? Is everyone just horny for Gabriel Byrne? Is everyone just looking for her to have sure. sex with the priest because we know that would make the movie more interesting? Like I don't, I don't know what the the logic is there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, we'll be back with the podcast in a couple of minutes. But first, a word from our sponsor. That's right, we got a sponsor. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much that they decided to dedicate every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts rightfully demanding a production of a third national treasure to comfy sweatshirts that reasonably serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings your tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERFRIEND. All caps, no spaces. That's SUPERFRIEND at checkout. And if the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. That's superyaki, S-U-P-E-R, Y-A-K-I dot com. Hey, 99ers. We have something really excited to tell you guys about. Beginning Tuesday, September 15th, go behind the scenes and follow the journey of some of modern cinema's most celebrated directors, including Scorsese, Eastwood, Kubrick, and more. Warner Brothers will feature its series, Hollywood's Most Influential Filmmakers, on YouTube daily starting September 15th. Go to youtube.com slash Warner Brothers Online for more information. Yeah, so basically, if you go to that website, you'll see that um, obviously there's going to be films from all these various filmmakers. Uh, we did, we have done, obviously we have done episodes uh, talking about these filmmakers. Um, you know, we've talked about Scorsese with Bringing Out the Dead. We're going to talk about Clint Eastwood with True Crime. And our very first episode was Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut will obviously be featured in this online live stream that Warner Brothers is doing, but it's also going to be in a digital bundle that we're going to be doing a giveaway for, uh, which includes Eyes Wide Shut, Mad Max Fury Road, Goodfellas, Million Dollar Baby, and everyone's favorite, The Green Mile. Uh, so, also a 99 movie. But um, check it out. Go to youtube.com backslash Warner Brothers online and also check out our first episode on Eyes Wide Shut. Thanks for listening to that ad, guys. Now, back to the show. So, essentially, the film opens in a Brazilian village of Bela Quinto with uh, Father Andrew Kiernan, played by Gabriel Byrne, a former scientist and Jesuit priest. I can't imagine there's many of those. Uh, who investigates supposed miracles and examines the statue of the Virgin Mary weeping blood at a funeral for uh, Father Almeida, who has previously experienced stigmata. Uh, while Andrew is collecting evidence, a young boy steals a rosary from the father's hand and then sells it to a woman in a marketplace who sends it to her daughter, Frankie Page, living in Pittsburgh. Which, by the way, just for what it's worth, the original title of this film, believe it or not, was St. Francis of Pittsburgh. Incredible. What a title. So, that's what bad. a title. Um, <laughs> I love that it. That movie does not make $90 million. <laughs> she, lives in, uh, she lives in the Eastern <laughs> Building, which is a pretty famous like downtown L.A. landmark. And they show it <laughs> yeah. over and over again. And it yep. drives me yep. nuts because I thought they were in L.A. <laughs> For the yeah, longest time, this not. is this is not this is not 
in an in, in inconspicuous building. This is a no. very large building downtown with a giant sign that says Eastern. Mm-hmm. Um, with you know a loft building, so that annoyed the shit out of me. But I'm sure people, you know, reasonably, the the country don't care. Um, but but reasonably. all that being said, um, St. Francis of Pittsburgh is a is a tremendously bad title, but I love it. Uh, and then basically we do we cut to our our alt rock uh, '90s uh, credit sequence, where we see sort of this kind of condensed timeline of Frankie's life. I guess to some degree, it's like fucking and drinking and lots of you know loud music uh and then we we see her getting sort of nailed by this guy and all this sort of shit then she wakes up the next morning in a truly gigantic bed with a fucking preposterous headboard that i'm still not she's a very small person though (laughs) (laughs) and your and your money goes a lot farther when you're in pittsburgh (laughs) (laughs) you can afford that headboard. headboard The headboard looks like something out of like it's like an Art Deco subway station or something like that. It's gigantic. Anyway, I, don't, it, I couldn't not see it. Anyway, then Frankie thinks it's she's pregnant. She for like, was chosen for the the production design of her apartment. Perhaps possible perhaps. they knew it's that possible. would be a great place for the climax I, of I an exorcism know. movie. <laughs> Either way, she then thinks she's pregnant for like a good ten or fifteen minutes, um, and she thinks that might be why she's feeling weird. Uh, but then shortly thereafter, she's attacked by an unseen force while bathing and receives these brutal wounds on her wrists. Brutal. Um, Even though I was I, explaining that what I thought was the plot to you, by the way, I forgot that she thought she was pregnant. Which I <laughs> and the song that plays when she's when you know that opens the movie is whatever happened to Mary, and it's like. There's obvious she's supposed to be, you know, this. There's some some sort of virgin birth thing happening here, even though she's like explicitly yep. not a virgin. Um, but that is forgotten very quickly by by me as well. Swept away, uh, <laughs> swept I, swept right I under I the use, rug. Can I use this Please. opportunity to ask uh, Ritz crackers? <laughs> what? Sure. Ritz crackers. What? I don't know. Why, why is that? I don't know. That's I don't it. Know. For those who have maybe they seen paid movie, some money. Did they put some? Maybe they put some some money into it. Uh, let's assume they did. It still doesn't explain why it, it it is used as essentially wallpaper for an entire giant wall in this loft. She has. It's got to be like six by twenty Ritz cracker boxes adorning a wall, and they're never mentioned. And they're never broken. Like no one's thrown through them. Do you think it's like a? I think it's a way. I think it's a a communion wafer wafer thing. Yes, I think it's a wafer thing. Oh, but like that makes sense. But what? I was gonna say that it feels like such a like kind of cool '90s sort of pop culturey thing, but. Wafers makes more sense. Well, no, I was gonna. Well, I, I was gonna say that I feel like Ritz was having a moment. And I think that, like, that was sort of the body of Christ of the 90s. <laughs> it was like a, a warm, buttery Ritz cracker. The body of Christ of the 90s. Well, you know, <laughs> when, when, yeah, when, in, a pinch, in a pinch, it'll work. It will It will save your soul. But I, yeah, all right. I, I, I can't, it, it's one of the strangest decisions I've anyway, ever seen she, in a movie, period. Okay, go ahead. So then she goes to the hospital, understandably. 
lots of blood, looking like she's harmed herself. Um, and that sort of seems to be kind of, they go on that track for a while um, in terms of like this, her friends start to think that there's something wrong with her. You saw who played the doctor, like this, right? No, who played the doctor? I didn't Anne Cusack. Okay. That means nothing to you? No. John Cusack and Joan Cusack's sister? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, she talks exactly like Joan Cusack. She has the exact same Joan Cusack voice. I believe you. You've never seen her in anything, Anne Cusack? I'm I'm sure that I have, but can I honestly say that the way this film is shot, (laughs) you basically can't fucking tell anybody. That's true. Like, it's... I, I was just like... There is so much random extreme close-ups with like desaturated, contrasty fucking photography that you just can't tell who the fuck anybody is. That's, but anyway, that's, yeah. that's definitely why you didn't know who Ann Cusack was. No, it's why I didn't. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so basically, Frankie asks a priest if he's Andrew Kiernan, the scientist, priest, and investigator. Uh, but this priest is, Frank, is Father Durning, and the lights in the train start to flash. And... <laughs> Frankie is now crucified inside the train, arms outstretched, being whipped while this priest recognizes what's going on. Because he obviously is like, well, that's obviously. Strange. I have to say, I thought the subway derailment was kind of effective. Not not the, I, not, I the yeah, cru- not the crucifixion part of it, but the actual derailment I thought was pretty scary as someone who sure. pre-pandemic took the train quite often. Uh, it's, I have not since March. But I, sure. you know, wrote it every day. So yeah. and, uh, to me, I'm days, scared of that. End of Days also had a, a some, some train, Beautiful some subway, subway stuff, stuff. <laughs> um, on it, too. So I guess there is something. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, I mean, Louis, you've obviously been on the New York subway tons of times. There is kind of this, you know, a lot of these tunnels have been around for over 100 years. So there is like this sense that they're like ghosts and you know, kind of spirits living down there. Uh, if you look down like various little, you know, alleys or side Creepy. sideways down there, you know, they have, they have old stations and they have old art and it's, it is, it is, it does lend itself to this kind of thing. We'll say one thing. This that was, is the same subway car they used apparently in a Seinfeld episode. So you have that to oh, also think about. I, I will say I knew one it. thing. <laughs> so one thing now. I found kind of interesting about this is in general, when you have something like, like this happen to a character, something supernatural, there is always the, the first act, but nobody believes me thing. All of her things out after the first one happen like in broad view of people who matter to the movie, right? Like are like, like other characters are very much aware that she is bleeding randomly, that she is not cutting herself, that she is, you know, that makes me, that makes me think about the fact that after the subway situation happens, they cut to a shot outside the train and you just see a bunch of people just like run out of the, out of the train car, just like into the street. And I'm just like, I couldn't help but laugh thinking about like, just these fucking people, these like just people on the subway yeah. running into the street, having just witnessed this fucking crazy thing. If it took I mean, place they in were, New York, they, they, they were distracted. Even... Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was New York. I didn't really think about where Pits- it was. Yeah. They're Pittsburghians. So that is the craziest <laughs> thing they've ever seen. But you know, New York's have like a seven foot black pythons on the track. So no I, sure. I have to say, I, you know, think talking about the subway scene and thinking about it more and the bathtub scene, I feel like this movie was pitched based on those two scenes. Like maybe it was like, 
we're going to have this, she's in the bathtub with candles. Then suddenly like there's nails through her wrist and, and we're going to have a scene of a subway derailment and she's getting whipped. And like, that was the, that was it. And then they just kind of filled in these kind of weird details around it. Cause I can see based on those two scenes, if you could like do it really well, how that would be a cool, freaky late nineties horror movie. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we should also acknowledge, um, this isn't something that would happen today or something that people would think today, but people were creepy then. And this was definitely pitched as like some sexy bondage shit. Yeah, you sure. know, like there was this idea of like Patricia Arquette being, you know, um, basically like, you know, you, you basically, I'm not going to get too much for, further into it, but you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, I think that it was pitched as sexy. I think that would like, I think it was pitched sure, as a sure. sexy thriller. But that's what's so weird about how not sexy it is, because they they re- they re- they really uh, hold back <laughs> on that front. That yeah. they they could have they could have gone full. You know, she works in this like tattoo parlor hair like it's a barber shop where they do piercings. There's like yeah. a something weird going on there with again Portia de Rossi with dreads, and you know there is sort of this. There could have there could have been more of an underground BSM whatever scene going on. Um, but it, they hold back. It, probably because it was, you know, a studio movie and probably because they were a little, little afraid to go full bore in that direction. No, I, I, I but I, I would agree with you, Kenny, but I also felt like the movie I thought about a little bit when I was watching this, which I should have made the connection to seven was eight and eight millimeter. Yeah. Um, cause it has that kind of CD underground sort of vibe, but never fully goes for it. Do you think eight miller is uh, a better eight miller, eight millimeter is a better movie than this? Yes. I, I have to say, like, you, we're talking about how, you know, she wasn't really dark enough. She wasn't really, like, mm-hmm. she, she wasn't messy enough. I, I, I had, when, she, when her mom calls her and they have this great relationship, that was immediately when I was like, I don't understand this character at all. Because I, assume, <laughs> because I assumed, yeah. like, that she was, you know, they, they play her up as this, like, drunken mess. And then yep. it's like, no, she seems like a normal young woman. Yep. Um, so I don't really know what we're doing here. Well, it's also th- this also plays into um, the hair salon she works at, which also has a very specific aesthetic that kind of like the the world that she lives in, or at least the the hair salon and the club that they go to. Like, they certainly seem like there's kind of they're like kind of cool, edgy girls. I guess is sort of what they're going for a little bit. But they don't go particularly far with it. This is also where we see Portia de Rossi's dreadlocks for the first time um, in the hair salon. Um, I just want to take a second here because there's a moment because we just did black and white a few weeks ago and uh, Brooke Shields has dreadlocks in that film. And then next year in 2000, we have uh, Angelina Jolie's blonde dreadlocks in um, Gone in 60 Seconds. Was there sort of this moment where I guess there was a moment where dreadlocks were okay for white people to have? Was that was that okay? I think that this was certainly predating a a national conversation on cultural appropriation, if that's what you're asking. I think that, I think that, yes, I don't think that anyone would have thought any, I don't think that any like mainstream critic uh, of, of which almost all of them were white would have thought to be like, why are all these white women wearing dreads? I mean, in in, in black and white, the, that's a commentary. Yeah. The irony of 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 putting them in with that, it's very clearly a a commentary on on that thing. Um, This happened up until two years ago. Charlize Theron is wearing dreads in 
fucking oh, that's fast right. and furious. So that's right. like this this on, only ju- this only just had its reckoning like last uh, week. Okay. Um so then Frankie's hospitalized again and the priest sends the security tapes of her attack in the train to the Vatican. And Andrew is sent to investigate. Can we just talk for a second about how so um oh my god, why am I drawing a blank on uh um Gabriel Byrne's uh Jonathan Price says to Gabriel Byrne, you need to go investigate this. And Gabriel Byrne is like kind of pissed about it. He's like, this is bullshit. Why do I have to go and check this out? Like, this guy's been going to fucking statues in Brazil, (laughs) but he's like all of a sudden he's pissed to go see a real person that might have stigmata. Yeah, that character's also really poorly drawn. Uh, I think it's like it's like they can't decide if he's like a priest who's lost his way, you know, if he's like an exorcist, like lost his faith guy or if he's like yeah. really devoted and thinks everyone is like you know putting on hoaxes and he's angry about that i don't actually know if they uh decided one way or the other what his deal is but part of that is like he it makes very little sense he seems very unenthused about this assignment there's not a lot it's, of why there good. too right like like you were saying with the whole thing so like so this guy starts out as a man of science uh yep. he's uh what he's a chemical engineer or something he's some sort of a scientist he explains to patricia arquette that the reason he moved over from science to faith was because there are just things you can't explain and he thinks it's god that fits into that uh, it's a terrible explanation it's a it's a terrible explanation when you when especially when you consider it is also his mission statement for his life and this movie so instead of going instead of being someone who goes and tries to figure out the truth and this isn't a comment on science versus faith but like that's what a scientist is that's what a detective is that's you're going to find out the truth he's someone who said i can't figure out the truth but yet i will do the same job i was always doing right i will go to places where there are unexplainable things happening and i will try and 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 i will i will try to figure out what's happening and i i guess Part of his job, because he's supposed yep. he's supposedly in Brazil. This is so embarrassing for the movie, but to look at a a window that kind of looks like the Virgin Mary, and he's like, it's just oxidation, not the Virgin Mary. <laughs> so that's a big part of his job is to like you know look at like pancakes that look like the Virgin Mary and be like, yeah, it's, you know, it's just the way the butter went. But um, the other part of his the other part of his job, I guess, like the jackpot of his job, you know, like yeah. the like the 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 finding, you know, the sequencing of the DNA version for him is like, I can't explain it. It's God. Then what do you <laughs> then what do you do? But he but that, I think does he not say that like every one of those statues was fake? I mean, I think that, yep. that, 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 that like until he finds this one, he thinks is real. I mean, he seems to say that like more often than not. Far more it's often not than not, these are, these are fake. So it seems like a very unfulfilling job in general. Well, it's, it's, I, would, it's, I would agree. It sucks. <clears throat> it's a sucky So he basically job. has, but this he's, is where they, he's they like meet. Vinny he, from My Cousin Vinny who's pointing out the, the magician, all the things he's doing wrong. <laughs> that's what, he, that's what yeah. his day job is. Like, <laughs> it's not the Virgin Mary. But uh, he, I, mean, I don't basically know. At this he should point, have had a different job. His job <laughs> should have been man of science. He should have been science, science, science guy, and then had to accept that this is not explainable through science in the moment. I, I pr- agree with you 100%, and it makes me think about um, the movie Contact, which I really love. The, the movie. Jodie Jody Foster, Matthew McConaughey. So you had, she is science, he's religion. But instead, what you have here is like, 
an atheist or a non-believer and a believer, but neither of them really believe, which is kind of fucking weird. Like, even he's sort of like, yeah, I mean, it's all pretty much bullshit, but maybe. But like, also it's they, just, like, it's, they have to believe because it is happening. Like, there's course. no earthly yeah. explanation for what's happening for uh, yeah. in front of them. So he explains to her about the five phases of the stigmata, and she's like, but I'm not religious. And he's like, I'm not really, but, you know, <laughs> this is happening. And then we have the scene at the club Don't where the she's going to go meet up, meets up with her friends. They go to a club. And then I actually think that perhaps the most ridiculous of the stigmatas is the crown of thorns. Mm. <laughs> That's the one where she's in the middle of the club, and she just starts screaming her face off, and blood starts pouring out of her head and we see all of these like staccato shots of of the crown of thorns being jammed into her into her skull essentially and then she just runs out into the street screaming like a lunatic while blood pours down her face it's it's the one that the reason i think it's it's the most ridiculous of the three thus far like this the bathtub feels very cinematic and even the subway car does too this just feels like if you saw that in the street, you'd be like, "Oh, that person's that person's just crazy." <laughs> like, there's just I'll be like, "How's all those? How's that blood coming down out of nowhere?" <laughs> like, why are you I, sweating I blood right now? <laughs> yeah, uh, but this leads into uh, uh, Andrew. Then follows her essentially into like an alley, aka a blatant soundstage, where oh, there's snap. like. <laughs> I mean, it is. Uh, you can always tell it's a soundstage when an alley has just a fucking wall that closes it off. Like a, it, Anyway, so it's a soundstage and there's a car and he, he follows her in there. And this is the first time that she speaks in Aramaic as like a male voice or sort of like a weird sort of, I don't know. All right, um, so something I want to hit on before we get to this part. Okay. It was the scene you just talked about in the club. That makes yeah. me think that this movie might have had a better chance as a lower budget movie, because there could have okay. been there could have been some charm to these uh, stigmata things if they were a little more a um, little more analog, right? Yeah. Like you know in you know in uh, in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, like the first time you see Freddy and his arms get all big and it looks so ridiculous. Yeah, but it's charming. Like there, it's it, at that moment. Like for all, first you're in dream logic, so like anything kind of plays. But also, like I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of like on board. Then I'm like, okay, they're really going for it. This is really scary and really weird. And I think that like she could have got. There could have been something a lot crazier there. You they wanted a ch- gone, you wanted a charming crown of thorns. I want, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, what I want is what I want is charming effects. If that makes sense, I want like gushing blood. I want like I want like people to just be thrown back at horror and blood like splurting on people and just like a little more Peter Jackson or Sam Raimi. Where I, you're just yeah. kind of like, what? Is, what is happening? I, you're thinking about like the 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 pencil in the foot and in Evil Dead. You want like kind of it like yes. it's like it's gory and gross, but also like very fake looking. Versus kind of, like you know kind whatever of takes you to a place where it's funny, and that's yeah. the charm of it. I'm getting at yeah. I, I think along the same lines though, like where this gets really ridiculous, and I mean, it's ridiculous the whole way through. But when she runs out of the club and then like causes like 18 car accidents to happen. 
Um, she does it like three times. <laughs> she keeps doing it, and I think that actually comes from a place of tr- of of having this bigger budget, of trying to kind of make it bigger, raise the stakes. Even though like Stigmata itself should be high enough stakes, but I feel like it's you know they're kind of creating this sort of this uh, these car crashes as if there's like more of a disaster happening, uh, and the rain and the you know whatever, and it's it's like a, it's like an action sequence, which is not the point really. The point is that she's bleeding from her uh, her fake or not fake uh invisible crown of thorns uh not the cars crashing can i also just say and you i want to piggyback on what you just said because there's a part of me that's like i think i think i've i think i've figured out what my problem with the one of my big problems with the film is which is there's a dissonance between you're seeing what happened to jesus (laughs) and then the effects of said things are happening to her like there's there's a dissonance between those two things right so it's like she's not actually having a fucking nail put through her wrist or a crown of thorn put into her do you you understand what i'm saying like there isn't the actual logistics of it or what make my head hurt where i'm just like she's having these wounds from things that aren't physically in our world so it's like invisible crown of thorns or invisible fucking things that are cutting into her body it just doesn't feel tactile. That it one feels... you just have to accept. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, like, I know that I, I, I get you understand that. What I'm, talking about? I'm talking about it on a conceptual level. That's, but, it's, it has nothing to do with whether or not I can get on board with that's, it. Yes, that's, my, that's my point about these things happening in the real world that are inexplicable, right? So, he, yes, of course, you're right. But that's the point. It's it's it. That's that's the the blank that needs to be filled in. How are these wounds happening if nothing in our world is causing them? So, no, I, I you're, you're saying more. You're saying more. You don't you don't feel that. You don't. You're not getting the sense that it's actually she's no, experiencing it. No, it's it's more about the fact that it, it literally is a visual language barrier that I think is the problem for me, which is I'm seeing something happen in in. I'm assuming Jesus's time or whatever was that are so close up that are so fucking staccato and I'm supposed to put those two things together and it actually visually doesn't make any fucking sense. So at this point, basically um, Frankie's in the alleyway. She smashes a bottle and she carves some symbols into the hood of the car and she yells at him in Aramaic again. Um, And then weirdly um, uh, Nia Long shows up. Neil Long is doesn't doesn't even really have a character in this movie. She's just sort of there periodically, um, which is sort of a bummer because she's a good friend. What does she do in the movie? She, she, <laughs> she seems to really care. She's she has no, her characterization is no worse than any of the other characters in the film. That's fair. That's See, fair. When, when when Patricia Arquette, I think we missed this or the forthcoming. Where when Patricia Arquette thinks she sees a baby being dropped oh that's that that happened already but and yeah the that's the first baby. time patricia Arquette runs through traffic for no reason yes, yes you know, runs out after a very concerned she does she, she does, does. Yeah. uh you know who doesn't care uh, Por- uh portia de rossi no <laughs> no i mean why would she <laughs> so uh and then basically it's very um, odd brand for her <laughs> so then andrew takes frankie to to Father Durning's church and the Vatican translates what she was yelling was Aramaic. Uh, and then we have that fucking writing on the wall scene that we were talking about earlier. Then we get to a pretty great moment, which is Andrew emails photos from Frankie's apartment to brother Delmonico, who he just keeps calling Johnny, which I love. Like doesn't call him. 
Is that, <laughs> is that Enrico Colantino or Colantini? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I could uh, that name right. And the priest, these priests are real tech savvy. Like they're on email. They're, they're, you Oh, you're talking about the, the Dick Latessa one. Correct. Yes, yeah. yes. And he's just like, don't tell anyone you saw this. And he starts like deleting everything off the computer. Right. We got we got like a, a cyber thriller moment. <laughs> there's there's and, a floppy and, disk. And, and Veronica Mars's dad is up in the up in the. Oh, um, th- that's who. I, that's, that's who's Enrico Colantoni. Yeah. But you, yeah. the other guy is, is the guy who looked. He, like, yeah. What, yeah. What movie is that? Where um, the guy? Oh, it, it, he, he looks like um, he looks like uh, in a uh, what was that horrible movie? Boondock Saints. He looks like Billy. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. What? Yes. The dad. Yeah. Yes, the dad. What's that guy's yeah. name? Billy, the, the Irish actor. The Irish guy, Billy. Fuck, I can't remember his last name. Yeah. Either way, we yes, get this sort of like, like cyber, sort of techie thriller as much as ninety nine can afford, essentially. Um, where he sends him some photos, and he's like, "Dude, this is from a document of a church found by like that. There's some nude gospel, and you have to just pretend you didn't see this at all." Um. Which was kind of fun, I guess. And then, then it sort of, I don't know, it really devolves into a bunch of kind of bullshit that I just can't really. You have like so you have some real DVD box quotes here, which is almost always like that was kind of fun, I guess. That's like the best you could do for the for the DVD box, I think. Which is a fair assessment of, of most of what happens. I at this point, Phil, once uh, Billy, what's his name, Cochran or whatever, comes into the movie, I'm out. Like my, Graham? my Billy Graham, maybe? No, 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 no. Billy like Graham, the, the <laughs> su- superstar Billy Graham, the, the wrestler. Um, no, it's I, I don't know what the, either one of these actors' names are, unfortunately. But I do know that matter. I did not understand what he was doing in the movie. <laughs> um, and I uh, and and I I did stop like kind of caring at this point, having already decided that I was going to like the movie. So <laughs> it was uh, Kenny for the love. Like I'm honestly like I can read the rest of this plot synopsis and we can do that, but it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> it devolves into a series of, to your point, Kenny, a bunch of priests that I don't know who they are other than Veronica's dad and Jonathan Price. Only because you know uh, he's Veronica's dad, not because you know what he does in the movie. Exactly. Exactly. I don't understand really the hierarchy of anything. Um, it, it, it Long story short, it basically comes down to the fact that there was this other uh, scroll or what have you that Jesus wrote down that essentially states that, like, churches are bullshit and you should just believe whatever you – believe in yourself. Believe whatever (laughs) you want to believe. Everything's going to be fine. Um, And that was kind of how Jesus saw things. Jesus really was a prophet. Right. And obviously the church can't have that. So they try to do an exorcism on – Frankie, why well, that they, would they, change anything? They, they're trying to kill her, I think, but they're doing it under the pretense of an exorcism. They are strangling her. Oh, I didn't. Maybe I didn't catch. Them well, it's very. I, mean, I, I, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was taking notes. Like, is this an exorcism? Is this supposed to be an exorcism or a straight up murder? murder. I think, <laughs> I think it's yes, it's both. Uh, but they're yeah. definitely trying to kill her. Because they don't want this getting out there. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know what that would, you know, would solve. I think, you know, as, as you've said, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's a conspiracy thriller. It's you know about the Catholic Church, but then also yeah. she's possessed and also trying to seduce this priest for some reason, and then like also that she has stigmata. But how that ties into the rest of it, 
uh, it is, is unclear. I mean, the, the irony of this film is that it's called Stigmata. It's about Stigmata, it seems. And yet it's never explained why she's actually suffering from this condition. She gets possessed at one point. They think it's Alameda's spirit at one point that's inside her body. I, I mean, I think that's that's where he ends up at the end when he finally, you know, right. confronts her and the fire and the doves. I, I believe he's like talking to Almeida. So I think that's ultimately right. what. But the, is Almeida bad? I think I think no, he's, he's just good. angry. But no. okay, he's good. That's, I, I think that's he, all right. So all right, this but, is. But I, hold on, hold on. This is just, I, hold on, because I think <laughs> that he's possessed her body and he's taken the form of essentially a. He's he sounds like a demon. So like I know part of it's like message and messenger and medium hey. and all of that, but like he's hey. picked it. Just because someone sounds like a demon doesn't mean they are a demon. Okay. First, secondly, this is all. There's a lot of this is regurgitating what Lewis has said. My understanding is now, Alameda <laughs> had a goal for humanity. Okay. And Patricia Arquette may or may not have to be collateral damage in getting that message out to humanity. The I Catholic Church uh-huh. has to suppress this message or else they will uh-huh. no longer exist. And that assumes that Patricia Arquette somehow is able to get this message out to humanity overcoming 2,000 right. years of the, Catholic, you know, of the Catholic Church. But um, that, I think, is what's going on. Now, what, what, what I'm really kind of grappling with right now is is how i could possibly give a passing grade to what is objectively a bad bad movie yeah no you're, you're not going to so here's here's <laughs> what here's what i'm gonna you're let's right just, to, going to wrap to. to wrap this up basically it's also a cynical uh, movie i would say gabriel byrne walks through fire she's on her bedroom's on digital fire because none of it looks real um it's just a whole bunch of fake fire that he walks through um and essentially saves her uh from this this possession or his spirit departs in peace alameda's spirit departs in peace or some shit and then later um we see andrew returns back to that church from the beginning and he opens up the original documents of this lost gospel and then we get some fucking text that says that they discovered the gospel of thomas stating that the catholic church also refuses to recognize this document as gospel and considers it hearsay uh hearsay sorry um so that that's the fucking movie. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about the plot of this film anymore. Um, you really didn't like this movie. Like I could, I can tell you're well, you're, you're you're upset. I mean, I'm I'm upset because I mean, upset's the wrong word. I'm annoyed, I guess, because unsettled. I think the movie did its job. You no, know, I, I think there's a. <laughs> I think I'm a little annoyed because uh, I was hoping that you guys would be able to sort of like logic out this movie for me. Cause I was annoyed as I was watching it. Cause it wasn't making any sense to me. And then I'm reading this and I'm walking through it with you guys. And it's basically clear. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't or, make sense. Movie I think that like, it's, a, it's, it's fun to talk about some of the bits of the movie, but once you start trying to untangle the plot, it's, it, it's like an extra, it's just like it, you're, you're going nowhere fast. Well, right. I think I think what what you're hitting on, Phil, is something that yes. I'm not feeling quite as strongly as you because, um, you know, I never really cared. But uh, <laughs> the more we get into it, the more I realize, you know, I, I, I threw the word out a few minutes ago, but it's a cynical movie. Mm-hmm. It, this the cynicism comes from this idea that people 
will be attracted to the gore, attracted to the sex, attracted yeah. to the, you know, the heresy, frankly, um, and not put much thought into how to tie that together with a coherent, yep. with, with a cohesive narrative. What they do seem to have is like what I just kind of distilled, again, based mostly on what Lewis said, is they do have a idea that they're working with. Like they seem, these writers seem to be kind of, uh, Taken with the idea that, ideas. that well, yeah. they seem to be really, really enraptured with this idea that there is this scroll that came from Jesus that the Catholic Church is suppressing. Okay, I get it. That's a movie, but they couldn't tell that story, so they or they didn't want to tell that story. They didn't think that story was sexy enough, or didn't lend itself to you know Patricia Arquette naked in a tub getting you know stigmata through her wrists. So they wrapped <laughs> it. They wrapped it in this packaging that looks a little like Seven. You know, which yep. like, frankly, is the, just the worst fucking movie to try to emulate um, because yeah. it just don't because like it's going to be bad and upsetting. So yep. I think that is why this movie went from kind of fun to me to kind of not fun to me um, because it I has think fun they were, moments. They, I think it does have trying, fun moments. I think they were trying to pull one over on us ultimately, and that's what kind of upsets me. I, I think that it's just it's it's. But we didn't I mean, let them. Well, we did. We we gave them ninety million dollars. Uh, <laughs> we just, we personally gave them ninety million dollars. <laughs> I just went the three of us, man. Us us, um, us three movie but, movie detectives figured them out. Well, I yeah. I but I think that you're, you're the way that you're describing it to me is more like there was more logic behind it. Like that. Like oh, we we have to kind of like. I think that there was a lot of cynicism in terms of like a studio trying to market this movie, and you know maybe like working from perspective of like people want to see Patricia Arquette, you know, bloody and naked um, and whatever. But I actually think that like what happened here with the story going in all these different directions is much more just like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks and, and less about trying to like, I think that there was actually an attempt to make something like fun and engaging and they had so many ideas and in total incompetence at pulling them off because I, it's like there's no reason to throw in these things like the sort of cyber thriller, like, you know, floppy disk scene and, you know, the woman in the street with the baby and all like all this weird shit that happens. that's like totally inexplicable on top of a plot that makes no sense. I think um, I think that someone was like excited about this. I think that it actually was like someone trying to do some cool shit that they saw in other movies and thought might work here. Uh, but I do agree with you that, like, at a very basic level, it's like no one cared because they thought that it would be enough that it would work yeah. anyway, and and they were right. Like the movie did well, and audiences and liked right. it more than we did. I mean, there there is something kind of shocking about you know. I, I obviously did a little bit of research into in terms of how well it did, and you're just like, you don't get to ninety million dollars without a couple people seeing this more than once. Are there so people there, there's, who love there this is, movie? Are there humans happened. our age, older than us, maybe younger than us, who love this movie? I, I, I feel like there is. I feel like this is not a – it's come up, Phil. It's come up a lot in terms of when we've given people lists, people have said, ah, I would do Stigmata. You know, so it's not like one of the forgotten movies. Yep. Like uh, no one says I want to do For Love of the Game. But um, – Damn it. I, and I, <laughs> no one yet my, my mistake and uh and i don't think it's you know people want to do it because they think it's 
trashy and will will shit all over it. I think there are a lot of people who'd like this movie or at least have have a memory of liking it. I haven't. I I mean, from personal experience, have not talked to anyone who's like, I love Stigmata. I'm not saying those people don't exist, but like, I don't. I don't. I don't even. I don't see it on bad movie lists. I don't see it on good movie lists. Like, I don't think it. Like, it's not totally forgotten. You're right, but I think that like. I don't. I don't know. I don't think it's a, lot, it's a ton of like fondness and nostalgia for this movie. And for me, I like, I saw that on the list, and I was like, "Oh, I remember that trailer." And like, it seemed really like you know, racy and exciting and like naughty at the time. And now I want to watch it as a, as an adult and find out how much it sucks. But like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I I I I do I, I do think it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I feel like the same thing about End of Days, like. I, that's a movie that I remember the trailer for, but I, I rarely hear it talked about uh, as like a you know a cultural moment. So I, I don't know. Sigmata has a much that's a bigger, shame. I think Sigmata has a much bigger footprint than really. End of, I agree. And End of Days is a significantly better movie. Do you know why I remember End of Days though? Is because of the trailer where you with see the, guy the, with the weird. No, no, no. The part where you oh. see the year nineteen ninety nine. And, the, and it flips upside down and it says 666. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, fuck. What a, we're in for... Because I was I was 13 and I was like, this yeah, is sir. scary yeah. shit. That's, scary that's, shit. Like the, uh, that's like the Batman Forever moment when they you know draw the, the Riddler sign over the Batman sign. It's like... The question mark. Uh, yeah, the question mark. That's right. How did we miss this? It was there all along in plain You're sight. You're now. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Lewis, we rate the movies that we do on this podcast. Oh, fabulous. Um, so from, from zero to 99, um, zero being the, 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 obviously the lowest 99 being the highest 50 is the threshold of, uh, recommending or not recommending. Um, did you see this film in 99? No, you saw this. This was the first time. First you saw time it yeah, the yeah. Other day. So, um, basically what we try to do is rate it before and after the podcast. So, basically that the podcast might change your opinion one way or the other. Now, my guess is you were pretty locked in before and after, but yes. do you have a, a rating for this film from zero to 99? So you give it a, you give it a number rating on, right. on that scale. Has anyone ever tried to go past 99? Yes. Everyone <laughs> says, why isn't there a hundred? No, I, I, and I understand the concept of the podcast. I just, I wanted to know if people were cheating. I will give this movie um, a Christly 33. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, so I saw this film because because, because, because he died at thirty in, at thirty three. To be clear, that was yeah, a, course, a reference course. to Jesus. Sorry. All right, just so want to make sure that all the heathens <laughs> listening know that I was deliberately giving it a thirty three. Okay. How, um, how I saw is th- it. Would he accomplish by thirty three? Oh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I saw this film in ninety nine on a date. Myself. Actually, um, it was a it it was a it wasn't a. The date was fine, um, but the movie was not memorable. I don't remember much about it. But I probably nice. would have given it a four, a forty in ninety nine. Is probably where I would have lied. I, I, I wouldn't have recommended it, but I didn't like it. Um, before this podcast, I was down to a thirty five, and now after this podcast, I, I'm down to a. I think I'm down to like a twenty two. Damn, um, you dislike like this movie? Like deeply. I, I did dislike this movie. I think this movie's just. Um, it's it's kind of beneath everybody. <laughs> I do not dislike this movie as deeply as you gentlemen do. Okay, but I do dislike right. this movie. Uh, however, after watching it, I gave it a fifty-three. Um, <laughs> oh I, my god! I uh, 
<laughs> I mean, my notes on it are just hilarious. I mean, my notes are mostly <laughs> just my mostly like every third note is like, "Will you two just fuck? Will you two just fuck?" <laughs> and then why? And they, why they would, wouldn't. And they wouldn't. Why would they wouldn't do it? I mean, they I have one note of that is just fuck, 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 and like a good one. Jesus I mean, Christ. fornicate, fornicate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt like it was made for dummies. And uh, yeah, because it was. Well, what? Yeah, no, I agree. It was. It was. It's for dummies. But like, it, it, you wonder if a movie is for dummies if the the filmmakers are dummies or if they're really cynical assholes. And uh, I kind of feel like this might be a little bit of both. Um, I do think you know there is a so bad it's good element to it. I do think there's a midnight movie element to it. I do think you know with the right kind of substances in your body and the right people sitting next to you, you could have a lot of fun with a movie like this. Um, I can't keep it at 53. I mean, I have a professional reputation to uphold, but uh, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna go down to a 42. I do not think this is an abomination by any stretch. I've seen oh, wow. so many worse movies than this. Um, this it, over the course of this podcast, I think this is a more here's, or less adequate film. Here's what I'm gonna say. I then listen to me. I don't I don't have any stake in this. Ultimately, what everything is said and done in terms of how you rate stigmata, but. I think this was one of those things where you had a better time than I did watching this film, right? Like you just enjoyed the sort of preposterousness of it. I, I think that you were able to kind of let go of any kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but expectations. Um, and that's what it was sure. for me. I, I got in on the silly real during the, the credit sequence. I was like, all right, so, right. So, so there's some, there's some strong silly in this movie. So let's, and let's I think that's it. the key, right? Like it, the silliness locked in for you. It was, it came in and went for me, which is part of why the la- I mean, honestly, the last 20 minutes to a half an hour of this film are a fucking slog. It's interesting. Like they are, they are brutal. So and, and that's to, where it leaves me. And not to belabor <laughs> so, the point, the difference between this and, and End of Days is yeah. End of Days is very aware that it's doing a silly movie. Um, and it got a $100 million budget to do it. Yeah, I mean, it, and it doesn't look great. But, but End of Days is like, <laughs> End of Days is like, all right, so, so we're, we're all on the same page. It's a very silly concept. Let's have some fun. <laughs> Um, Sigma is like, we're on the same page. There's some serious shit, right, guys? Like, well, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's such a weird movie to talk about and dissect because it's like a pile of shit that was like, you know, we're, we're, we're all, we're all agreeing that it's not good, that like it's some, com- some combination of like studio cynicism and people who are bad at their jobs. We all agree sure. on this. And yet, like, the movie is fundamentally about how the Catholic Church is, you know, a failed institution that's like based on a lie and actually like they would kill to keep the secret from coming out the true words of Jesus. It's like a wild concept, um, highly sacrilegious, like should have been picketed. I don't know if it was whatever. Um, but like very, very under, very under a literal pile of shit. So I don't, uh, it's, it's weird. It's like a hard movie to, to pick apart. That's why like, you know, I want to I want to enjoy it on a, like a so bad it's good level, but I feel like there's like almost too much going on to do that. I can't. I can't it made me think, and that's annoying for a movie this bad. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been on the poster. It made, it made me, me think, and that's annoying for a movie of this caliber. They can just quote the first part. It made me think if they want to. You know, it's fine. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it made me think. <laughs> or just annoying, you know, just like to pull, take, take, take a word out. 
Um, well, next week, uh, we're doing, uh, an episode on the 1999 Golden Globe Awards. Oh, right. Um, I don't, I don't know, uh, Lewis, if you have any thoughts on the Golden Globe Awards. Um, they were, uh, they, they were, I mean, it's a great episode. Um, but it, they already recorded it show. and we're pretty proud of it. Like, it's yeah, pretty it's a good, good one. Yeah. Like, like yeah. The, the Golden Globes, I think, uh, have consistently, not consistently, but have, over their history, awarded more bad movies awards than the Razzies. That's my Interesting. take. That's my take on the Golden Globes. <laughs> That's a bold take. I think. I think that. Um, I don't think it's wrong. I well, I do, but I. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's it's, I, it's hyperbolic. It's not. I mean, it's a, you know, it's an exaggeration. I, but I think Phil came into the the episode not necessarily thinking that the Golden Globes were bad, not really valued, just that the Golden Globes are yeah, the, are only a piece of entertainment, right? The Golden Globes <laughs> yeah. are three hours of entertainment that happens yeah. on NBC every whatever February or January, whatever it is, which mm-hmm. they certainly. Are, but I sure. think that there's an alternate history of Hollywood in terms of like the, the canonization of film that could be told through the Golden Globes that uh, is interesting in its own right. Because like as you guys know, the Oscars fuck up all the time too. So I'm not super. I, I've never been like super crazed about the right movie winning. The right movie winning for me is generally the movie that wins because it's really just about what people thought at the time. And I'm more interested in the thought process that goes into awarding a, you know, moonlight or green book than making sure that, you know, you get the movies you want up there. Right. And I do think that there's something interesting in terms of like what the golden globes have, has honored or have honored who they invite to their ceremonies, why they invite them to their ceremonies. And also like what they're trying to prove. Which is like an interesting thing as well. Well, I I, I want to say that that um, I think it's a great episode that we did. But but I think one of the things that for me was the most interesting is um, I think the Golden Globes are kind of you know the trashy Oscars you know weird stepchild thing. Like I think that that's kind of the way that they're thought of. Um, and my takeaway from the episode was that on a television level, the Golden Globes are actually pretty fucking groundbreaking. They're when better it comes than the, the stuff. There's no question get. about that. They they are they are the the range. I mean, specifically in this episode or, or in this uh, in this award show, Lewis. You know, it was the first time that the Sopranos and Sex and the City were both awarded anything. Uh, they both won Best Comedy and Best Drama. It would take many years before the Emmys would get on board that. I think that the, that the Golden Globes are surprisingly groundbreaking in terms of um, awarding you know, television shows in a moment and recognizing and pointing at them and saying, you should give this show a shot before the Emmys get on board. Yeah. That's, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of, of TV, at least that it's, that they're a little bit like, you know, ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah. I think when you remember that it's like what 70 people, uh, voting, you know, but, but yeah, no, totally. I think that also the fact that people get drunk there makes it, uh, a more, (laughs) a more dynamic experience to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so we have, uh, we have Eric Anderson coming on for that episode from awards watch. Um, and he's fantastic, but yeah, sorry, Kenny, what were you saying? Uh, no, I don't even remember. Um, no, I, I just about the award that basically the golden globes have been, have been screaming or the Hollywood foreign press association has, have been screaming, for the last 80 years, we exist, we exist, pay attention. And 
over the last 20 years, what they stopped doing, um, definitely in TV, but in films too, to some extent, is saying, uh, we're going to try to predict what's going to happen at the Oscars. And what yeah. they started to doing, do is, we're going to throw some of our weird shit against the wall and yeah. see if that works. And that distinguishes ourselves. So that leads to like kind of what you were saying at the beginning, Lewis, which like they have awarded some shitty movies and they've also awarded like three billboards one, which is a bad shitty movie, but like they've also awarded and Bohemian Rhapsody and Bohemian Rhapsody. They've also Ooh. awarded some, some good movies <laughs> that don't get nominated uh, or that don't get awarded at the Oscars. Some good performances that, you know, th- things that we all feel like should have like, uh, uh, Tom Cruise for Magnolia. Tom Cruise for Magnolia is exactly what I was thinking, or so that's just one for Creed. Um, and yeah. yeah, things like things uh, along that line, and it's just a it's just a fun little alternate look at, at the last. Yeah, I, it's it's years. it was a really fun episode to do, and it and it really kind of it changed my perspective on the Golden Globes. Um, I, I think that they they often are kind of the the butt of a lot of jokes, understandably because. The budgets are low. People drink and like fucking eat during speeches. Like it's just such it's it's ridiculous. But um, but you know, uh, I, I had a really great time talking with uh, obviously with with Kenny and, and Eric about it. So that'll be up next week. But um, Lewis, thank you so thank much. Thank you for so being much here. for coming on. Thank you really, for having really, really me good. and and again for getting me to finally watch Tigmata. No, no, yeah, time, I mean, if nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else you've help. watched it now. <laughs> Um, but we hope that you'll come back in the future and uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thanks, guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.